Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey friends, and welcome back for season three of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. In this podcast, you'll learn all about the fascinating jobs that people do, some that you might never have even heard of, as you contemplate your own personal and professional future. I started this podcast because I've always been fascinated by jobs. I even quit my own day job to spend a year as an intern. You can read all about it in my new book, My What If Year. It comes out on February 7th, and you can pre-order it right now, everywhere books are sold, or head over to my website, aliciafmiranda.com, for more information. Go ahead, I'll wait. In these times of quiet quitting and great resignations and loud quitting or whatever, I think more people than ever want to follow their passions. Everyone on this podcast has, and I encourage you to do the same. As I tell her in this podcast, I read Jessica Gross's new book with a highlighter in my hand. The book is called Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood, and it's written by today's guest, Jessica Gross. She is an opinion writer at the New York Times who writes a popular newsletter on parenting and was the founding editor of Lenny, the email newsletter and website. She was named one of LinkedIn's Next Wave Top Professionals 35 and Under in 2016 and a Glamour Game Changer in 2020 for her coverage of parenting in the pandemic, which if you have not read, you should also add to your TBR. She's the author of the novels Soulmates and Sad Desk Salad, and she lives in Brooklyn with her husband and daughters. And I can't wait for you to hear this chat with Jessica about what being a mom means today. Everybody, we have got such a treat for you today. A talk about motherhood, a talk about life, about parenting, about this amazing new book that Jessica Gross has put out, Screaming on the Inside. Jess, I'm so delighted to welcome you to Quit Your Day Job. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. So I am not sure I've ever prepared more for a podcast interview. I'm a fan of your writing, but I also read your book with a highlighter like I was back in college. And just before we started recording, Jess and I were reminiscing that we probably met each other in college, but would both just like to pretend that didn't happen given our (laughs) pre-25-year-old selves. But I really, I just... Like I just dove into it and I couldn't stop. And there was so much in there. It's just such a brilliant book. So congratulations, first of all. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. I mean, it's having worked on it for over two years and really put my heart and soul in it. Now the idea that people are actually reading it is horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) So anyone who reads it and enjoys it, it's just like warms my heart and makes my day. So thank you so much. It was so, there's just, there's so much in there. So we are going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about your life and career, but we're going to start with a quick little round of this or that. So just five quick questions. First thing that comes to your head and why. So first one, Brooklyn or Manhattan? Brooklyn. 
Not even. Of course. Not, okay. I no live here. Yeah. I live here. I, if I, I often say to my husband, even if money were no object and it is still an object, <laughs> I would choose to live in Brooklyn. I love it here. I am very happy. That was an easy one. All right. This will start fights, but I think the food in Brooklyn is much better. (gasps) Ooh. Okay. Well, I'm going to need some restaurant recommendations because all my friends have moved to Brooklyn now. I always end up staying in Manhattan, but I feel like I could be motivated for food. Oh my gosh. Off the island. Mm -hmm. Literally, I can a list okay. so many. <laughs> Even book just two. book two, the food review of Brooklyn. I can't wait for it. I'm very yeah. well. Not book two. It'll be book many for you since you're <laughs> a number of other books. All right. Question two: Gawker or Jezebel? Man, that's a toughie because R.I.P. Gawker. You know, like I feel like they went down fighting and they got done so dirty by the legal system. Yeah the same time I was an OG Jezebel. So I have to say Jezebel and I still read it to this day. I think it's still great and they do a wonderful job. And I think, um, they completely redefined women's media yes. and now every women's magazine website sounds like Jezebel. And it is completely to the credit of Anna Holmes who hired me and started Jezebel. So gotta say Jezebel. It was such a site. It was such a like, like what I remember, I was like such an obsessive reader and had never read anything like it before. Like it really just was new. It was new and exciting. And, you know, I mean, it just tore the image off. Like yeah. I was a big fan. I was, I think more as a teenager, really into women's magazines. Cause I think sometimes when you're a teenager, you're trying to figure out how to be a woman. Totally. <laughs> why so ask but, your mom when you can yeah. read about it in Cosmo? <laughs> exactly. Or like YM, all the trauma-rama. I love oh, that. God. I love that in middle school. Anyway, so I think, you know, it just, there was nothing like it. It really showed the lie of all the Photoshopping and the like diet culture and all of that. So just always a fan. It's awesome. All right. For reading, fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Nonfiction. I love a true crime book. I am reading. I have to, I'm, I want to get the title right. So I'm, I'm just looking at my iBooks, um, my Apple. I read usually at night. I can't fall asleep until I, I have to read. And my husband oh I have to read before I fall asleep. My husband falls asleep as soon as his head hits the pillow. It's so unfair. I'm so (laughs) jealous. I just look over at him and I'm just like, do you jerk? It's so like, I wish I could fall asleep like that. But I always read to sort of, you know, shut my brain down. I I read on an iPad because I don't want to wake him up. So I just started reading this book called The Last Castle. I love reading about rich people things. And so it is about, it's by Denise Kiernan. It is about the biggest house ever made when it was made in the, you know, late 19th century by a Vanderbilt. Oh my God. And it was, it was sort of like this debacle, um, but it was, you know, you hear all the drama and like the, you know, rich New York city set, like the Vanderbilts and the Astors and all of the like, goings on. So that's the kind of thing I love reading about British royalty. They're so dramatic. It's basically like highbrow soap opera. Yeah. I will also read lowbrow soap opera. So just (laughs) any sort of, it has to be true though. True soap operas. Yes. (laughs) I think rich people behaving badly is an excellent genre of anything. I like it in in nonfiction. I love it in TV. Yes. My preferred genre of everything. And so (laughs) And if you read about the British aristocracy, you can trick yourself into being like, well, I'm learning something. This is history. But really, it's just gossip and mess, which is what I want. 
<laughs> Until they are your actual rulers and you become a subject of them. And then you're like, wait a minute, that's this is weird. But that's yeah. that maybe another podcast conversation for a different day. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But the I just love gossip and mess in any way I can take it. Like I love Real Housewives, like just that's my leisure. So good. And how about for writing, fiction or nonfiction? I mean, fiction, I think, is more of a straight delight because um, it is just, if you get into sort of a corner, you just make it up. But with nonfiction, I think I'm better at writing nonfiction, mm. um, but it's, I, I agonize over it a lot more because I'm trying to, in an ideal world, change people's minds about yeah. something. And so that is, I take that very seriously. And I take that responsibility, especially because I write for the New York Times. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really storied big institution. I still remember the first time I pressed the, as an, because I worked in sort of different roles at the Times. And I still remember like pressing the button that made something published on the New York Times website. Oh my God. And it was the scariest. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is too much responsibility for me, but it was fine. It was no, it, and now I'm used to it, but I still get sort of a little thrill every time I see my stuff in print. And, you know, I see the name on the, in the big Gothic letters on the building like that, you know, as a journalist, that kind of never gets old for me, but you know, I take, I take the responsibility very seriously. I love it. And final one, it's not a this or that, but a question, who is a mom that you admire? I mean, I'm just thinking about her because she had a book come out last week, but I got to say Michelle Obama. Like Michelle Obama, just amazing. I mean, she's amazing in so many ways, but also I love the way that she has written about motherhood. And it's clear that she does not take any crap from her children. Like, (laughs) can you imagine coming home, having done something like broken a rule and having Michelle Obama be there as your mom? I would never (laughs) break a rule if Michelle Obama was there. I barely broke a rule with my mom who is like much, you know, not as not even remotely intimidating and really I don't think punished me very much but still I can't I can't imagine I can't imagine ever wanting to disappoint Michelle Obama like exactly like the worst thing in the world (laughs) and her kids seem amazing so I'm sure they didn't disappoint her very frequently but I just I I love the way she approached motherhood I love the way she protected her kids in the White House like what a complicated role that has to be with the scrutiny of the entire world on you as a teenager that you didn't ask for. And I just think she, I mean, she's Michelle Obama, like, come on. So <laughs> right. Michelle, if you're listening, you've got a fan here. That <laughs> I'm was... very I read her first book and I have her second book, like pre like waiting for I can't wait for her. I loved her first book as well. Yeah, it was great. I read mostly fiction, but enjoy the occasional nonfiction. And I just, I reading your book to get back to Screaming on the Inside, I felt, I feel like I'd never felt more seen than reading the introduction to your book. And so I really want to spend a lot of time talking about it. But before we dive in, I would love you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your job, and how you got into writing. Sure. So I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer as soon as you know, definitely by college. I think as a child, I wanted to be an actress, which was misguided for a (laughs) lot of reasons. But like once I was really a person, I've always wanted to be a writer. I worked on my high school newspaper, like 
all of that. And so I started working in journalism immediately after I graduated from college. But at first, I actually thought I was going to be more of a culture critic. So I worked at Spin Magazine on their website in 2004, which was just hilarious because then the sort of attitude in journalism was like, oh, the web, who's going to care about that? Which is like... Even at the time, I was like, guys, I think it's going to be a thing. This like, might, maybe be, this might should, be important. <laughs> maybe you should invest in this website. But it was like such a backwater. Nobody cared about it. And so that was sort of my first job. And then, like I said, I worked at Jezebel when I was 25, um, the first year that it was around. And, you know, that sort of got me into working in media geared towards women. And so... Then I worked at Slate's Vertical that was geared towards women. And then I was there for three years. And I am not someone who is into self-help or like I'm very cynical about Mm self-help. And yet I watched Sheryl Sandberg's TED Talk. That was a precursor to Lean In. And she said, don't leave before you leave, which (laughs) I remember that exact quote. I have probably repeated it to people before, I think. Right. And so the advice is like, don't take your foot off the gas pedal in your career before you even have children. Yeah. You know, you have to keep achieving. And I was very ambitious. So I knew I I was married by that, by my late twenties. I got, I, I met my husband when I was 23 and he was 24. We got married when we were 28 and 29. I knew I wanted kids. I've always known I wanted kids. And so I was like, okay, I got to get a big job now before I have kids so that I have it in place because I know it'll get much harder when I have kids. Mm-hmm. So I got a new job, which was a, my first sort of bigger management role. And I found out, I, and my husband and I had like, quote unquote, stopped trying, mm-hmm. except I was already pregnant and right. I didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> which is like how plans always yep, work out when exactly. it comes to babies. So I, I was like, oh, I don't want to be pregnant, right? A, a new job. Like I'm going to stop trying, but I was already pregnant. Um, and I found out I was pregnant on my second day of work. Oh my God. I proceeded to get hyperemesis, which is when you throw up. You The, the technical definition is you lose 5% or more of your body weight. Oh my God. And I just could not keep anything down. And I got incredibly depressed. I had gone off antidepressants mm-hmm. to conceive. So I don't, it's it's sort of like a chicken or an egg thing. It's like, would, if I didn't have hyperemesis, would I have gotten so anxious and depressed? Right. I don't know. Does it really matter? But like (laughs) things do not feel great when you cannot keep any food down. I had to tell my boss, my brand new boss, I had to tell, I was so humiliated because I was like, I can't hang. Like I, I have to be next to a toilet basically all day. And so I was terrible at the job and it was clear. I didn't blame my, I don't really blame my employer. I don't blame my boss in that situation. It was untenable, which is in the like, you know, I think I described it that way in the book. It was like, I could not do that job in that moment. The only alternative was to go on short-term disability, which would not have paid me anywhere near my full salary. It would have paid me like a hundred dollars a week. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to get better. It just didn't seem, it, it seemed like I, everyone would already have a bad idea of my work ethic at this place that I just started at. And so I was like, so stressed out. I was still vomiting. I was very depressed. And so I just ended up quitting that job after two months. And I was pretty convinced at that time that I would never work again because, you know, you always hear about um, stereotypes that people have about women when they become mothers being less committed to their work 
And so I got pregnant and just immediately quit my job. You know, how does that look like on a resume? It looks terrible. So I bet at the time I was so sick. I was like, all I need is to triage my life. I need to concentrate on holding down some food (laughs) like, and just like, I want this baby to be healthy. Like I wanted to be healthy. I wanted my baby to be healthy. So I basically was in bed for like the next four or five months. And then when I was about seven months pregnant, I started feeling better. Okay. Just in time for it to be over. (laughs) Right. Right. But actually like, you know, in some ways I feel like the transition into motherhood was easier for me because my pregnancy had been such a disaster and such a disappointment in like, you know, in kind of every way. And I felt like such a failure about it that when it was like, I was not good. So lucky to have a relatively easy birth. My daughter, my older daughter was what they call in the business, a trick baby, Mm -hmm. because they make you have another baby. Cause you're like, this isn't so hard. Like (laughs) (laughs) she was, and I always joke that it was like my karmic reward for having such a difficult pregnancy. Really well behaved. It was like (laughs) the easiest baby. My mother literally said to me, she was like, if you have another baby, you cannot expect them to be like this. Like they, she just was the easy. And now she's almost 10 and she gives me the business literally every day of her life. So like, you know, but as a baby, (laughs) she was just so sweet, so easy. And I actually think, but that experience just made me realize even on an even deeper level, because I already knew that the United States didn't support women the way that most countries support parents, moms and dads, but especially moms, but kind of living through it. And despite having basically every privilege imaginable. You know, I didn't have any debt. I was married. We had health insurance for my husband. You know, I had been, I had a career. I didn't just have a job. It just, none of that mattered. And so it really galvanized me to spend basically the next, you know, decade of my career devoted to writing about these issues and talking to other parents and and talking about what's happening in other countries and looking at policy and looking at history. Um, And then obviously, you know, I'd been reporting on it for years, but then the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, I think more and more moms realized like, wow, this, the structures that we expect to support us do not exist. And when everything falls apart, we're the ones expected to hold society together. And that felt very unfair. (laughs) And so, you know, in the book, I obviously covered it as it was happening, but in the book, the pandemic is almost like the climactic event. If you're talking about the narrative arc of the book, it sort of starts, you know, I, I go back into the history of American motherhood and give sort of a little primer in the first chapter, but when you're talking about the action of the book, it kind of starts with my difficult pregnancy and the climax of the book is like the pandemic where it's like all these things that were not working before really stopped working during the pandemic. And it made more people realize how these systems really need to be reformed. And the last chapter of the book is about all of these moms who were inspired by the events of 2020, 2021 to uh, make change in their communities. So that's kind of the long and short of it. Which is amazing. So, you know, you've spent so much time talking to parents, talking to mothers, writing about it in your career. Is there something that you learned during the interview process for this book that surprised you or that you didn't already know? So one of the most surprising things was reading women's diaries and letters from, you know, as far as long ago as, you know, the 18th century. And the language might have been 
the language is obviously not modern, but the sentiments about motherhood were the same. So I had had this idea that like, oh, motherhood used to be easier before modern life or like all the modern intrusions or expectations have made motherhood more difficult. It's like, no, early motherhood was always terrible. (laughs) They were like sleepless. They were like, I, there's one, my favorite quote, which I just like laugh every time I think about it. It was from a mother who was nursing an infant. And she said, if she thought she had to nurse babies for the rest of her life, she would rather lie down and die. <laughs> like this is a mother in like 1847. Like, You're like is- same girl, same. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the idea that it has ever been sort of effortless is a lie. It's a lot of effort. It's worthwhile effort. Obviously, like... Yeah. My kids are the greatest joy of my life. I love being a mother. Like, but if we don't recognize the effort and we pretend that it's not there, I think that's dishonoring the amount of work that it is. Yeah. And and it makes people feel like there's something wrong with them if it's not all effortless joy 24/7. So, I felt like just reading those historical accounts, I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Like, this is what I text to my friends, except it's some lady (laughs) writing a letter to her sister from a fort in the American West, you know? So that, I really loved that part of it. And that was very surprising to me. But it it was surprising. And it was a really, I think as a reader, I found it really surprising that, you know, there was always this assumption that a lot of this additional responsibility that came when women started to really enter the workforce in large numbers and then still retained all of the domestic responsibilities that we had as mothers was when things got really difficult. But what the book really shows is that actually things have been really tough for mothers for a very long time. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Yeah, I mean, and it's less like, I don't want to say like it should be easy. Like raising the next generation is long and hard work. And that's, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to admit that and to talk about that. And I don't think, I think the expectation that it should be easy makes it ironically a lot harder for people. Right. And so, 
Yeah, it's always been hard work. It, there were different challenges. You know, I am extremely grateful to have antibiotics and clean water yeah, and, good things. you know, <laughs> exactly. And to be Zooming with you over mm-hmm. the beautiful internet. Like, I, I, I think sort of any argument that it was harder. I, I mean, it's easier in so many ways now just because of modern conveniences and technology and all that, you know, it's, there's always been challenges. Yeah. I really, because, you know, this podcast is a lot about careers and people's careers and their jobs. And so the section on work, I just found really compelling. I want to read out this quote that I pulled out because it completely resonated with me. Uh, It was from Heather, who was someone that you interviewed in, in the book. And she says, I could choose a different career path and have a better family life. It's tough because in contrast with my own mother, who had to work two jobs as a single mom, I am actively choosing to work more for my own professional fulfillment. And that adds its own layer of mom guilt. Um, Mm. I feel like not only does this really resonate with me, but also with a lot of my peers who ambitious young women went straight into the workforce, very, very driven in our careers, and things have had to change to accommodate having children and becoming moms. You know, we've had to re-navigate our goals and reframe our ambitions kind of in this world where there's not a ton of systemic support really that exists for us. And so I'm wondering what kind of reflections you have on mom guilt and how that sort of worked for you in practice. Well, I mean, I never had guilt about continuing to work. My mom was a doctor and she was a doctor when there, her medical school class had five, was 5% women. I think there were like a total of five women. (laughs) (laughs) And so she never had, she always had the attitude more of like a trailblazer, like I don't have guilt. Like mm-hmm. I had to fight for this. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think having her as an example has just been amazing for, for me. I think we all, not all of us, but many of us have this idea that we should be able to be the ideal workers at work mm-hmm. and we should be the ideal mother at home, which is work at work, like you don't have any life responsibilities and be at home, like you don't have any work responsibilities. And that is impossible because we cannot divide ourselves into two separate people. And I think part of the issue too, and I've been running up against this in my own life and I don't know how to deal with, like there's no solution. My husband and I both work full-time. We both are ambitious. Mm -hmm. We both, he is so supportive and does his fair share. There are just too many freaking things to do in a finite amount of time for us even spreading the responsibility around. Yeah. And there is no solution for that beyond paying for an amount of childcare at this point we can't afford. So like, we're just tired. (laughs) Or polyamory, maybe three parents, two kids. Spread it around. Yes. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's a mess. Yeah. And I think it's, as I point out repeatedly in the book, it is because all of the structures of our lives are predicated on one parent being home all the time. Yeah. Like just the school day. Like my kids' school day ends at 2.50. I pay for aftercare for them, yeah. which lasts until six. And I am very lucky to have that at their school, especially since the pandemic. Many aftercare programs do not have as many seats. They're more expensive, like an affordable aftercare program, two blocks from my house at their school that I just like don't have to do. I don't have to worry about them getting to it. They're there. It's amazing. I'm very grateful to have that. All the same, 
two weeks ago, they had off for election day and veterans day. Yeah. And I was just like, can I curse on this? Yes. I was just like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It just was like, we had to, to rearrange our lives. Like, it's just, I I don't, I don't have solutions. Like every, it's all a patchwork. Like I've a friend who has a teenager, the teenager came over for a couple hours to like help, like deal with the kids while we worked. And like, again, we have careers that are more flexible than most. And like, there just is no slack in our systems. So, you know, if, People as privileged as we are, are just struggling with this. You know, everybody is, everybody is to a greater or lesser degree. So, I mean, friends of ours have an au pair and they were just like, yeah, we can just go out at night and it's no big deal. And I was just like, like, (laughs) (laughs) we have it. We live in a two bedroom. Like it's not, it's just not, I know. Well, it's just, it's it's just difficult. It's just difficult. Every letter, my kids are, I have twins. They're 11 now. And it's so much easier in so many ways, as you know, from having an older child, but also yeah. still really difficult. You still have to be there. You have to be around. They need so much emotional support at that stage. Oh, of and course. It's really, there's just never, there's like not a, a simple solution. And there's not like a kind of like, oh, let me just tell you exactly how I did it. And then you do the same exact thing for your life. And then everything's going to be fine for everybody because it just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. Oh, it does not exist that way. And I mean, my kids are now six and my older daughter will be 10 in two weeks, which I mean, feels unbelievable to have, you know, a you're tween. in it. Like, mm. a tween? What is this? Yeah. And so it's so much easier than it was when they were babies for sure. But it's still like, it every day feels like a puzzle of like when am I like of work and them and if one sort of thing is out of order or somebody gets sick or like it's just you know yeah it's this is not new we yeah. all live this one thing that I wish would change and I need to write about this sort of more explicitly I feel like the solution is always just like how to do more work mm. whereas like my life would actually be solved if I could work 75% of the time. I would yeah. be happier. I want to spend time with my kids. Um, but there's no jobs that are like that. Or an yeah. America, I mean, I think you said you don't, you're not in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Americans work more hours than anybody. So 75% of an American job would be a normal job true. in many other places. <laughs> so I think especially when your kids are young. There shouldn't be a stigma to like not even not leaving. You're not even yeah. leaving the workplace. You're just like, I'm not going to go full throttle in these years. And then when I'm 50 okay. or whenever, you know, mm-hmm. depending on when you have your kids, I'm going to go back and be completely full throttle. And yeah. like that should be a career path that for if you're really ambitious that you can say like, okay, this is not the time I'm going to put the pedal to the metal. Like this yeah. is the time I'm going to spend more time with my kids. Like life is long. I just actually, at the times, if you work there for five years, you get to be part of the pension plan, which is amazing. Like I've never... You have to work for five years before you get a pension? Yeah. Well, we have a 401k and a 401k match. So it's like, this is an an addition to the Okay. Okay. Oh, I never expected I would be anywhere that had any kind of pension. So I'm thrilled. But it said expected retirement date 
2047. And I was like, I can't believe I have to keep working until 2047. Like, oh my God, I'm so tired. But if you're working, you know, most of us are going to work until our 60s. Yeah. And so like, at least, at least, you know, at least. And so having this idea of like the seasons of your career, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we should talk about that more yeah. and think about that more and think of our career as the long game. We're not just here. You know, I think especially when you're in your 20s and 30s, I just turned 40. So I'm like, you know, now thinking about the sort of next stage. Yeah. yeah. But when you're in your 20s and 30s, it has to happen. You feel like it has to happen so fast. Yeah. And all you're thinking is like, how do I climb the ladder as fast as humanly possible? And now I'm thinking like, how do I maintain this until 2047? Yeah without burning out. (laughs) Exactly. Or how do I figure out a way to slow down, but still have all the things in my life that I need for my job to have the financial stability, to have the joy and the things that I like and to be a good parent and to be able to be around and take care of my kids. Yes. I'm so with you. I also had my 40th last year and my whole, my, my book is all about basically my pre-midlife crisis and then going on to do all these crazy things that I'm doing now that, (laughs) that have nothing to do with my previous career because I was like, yep, 40s, new career. 50s going to be a new career after that. We'll see. We'll see how. We yeah, go. that's amazing. I mean, I I don't have a five or ten year plan, and I have maybe a six month plan, <laughs> if that. But I think just the idea of like the more good work you do opens opportunities that you can't even foresee. Yeah, like that's why I don't like to plan too much because most of my career has been serendipitous. It has not been like, I am gunning for this specific job and I'm going to, I mean, and, and part of that is because I work in a precarious industry. Right. So I was like planning too much seems like a way to just be disappointed because <laughs> like, will journalism even exist in 10 years? <laughs> I mean, it will, it, it fully will, but I Let's mean, hope so. <laughs> since I came into the industry, it was always, you know, precarious. And I feel very lucky to have the stability that I do have and have a job, you know, a job at the times that I love. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I think planning ahead too much, one can close you off to, you know, wild possibilities that you might, you don't even know exist. And two is just feels like a fool, fool's errand. errand. Very true. Although I am planning to move into wedding singing as my profession when I'm in my 50s and it feels... Good that I train for that now in the lead up. So, <laughs> Love have my little thing. plans, but have my backup plans. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you talk in the book about this concept of radical flexibility. I think it came from a McKinsey report. Yes. Have you come across any industries or companies that you feel like are really getting it right for moms and for parents more generally? It's usually isolated incident. It, it's like a lot of places will have sort of flexibility on the books and then in practice, it's like they want you to be available all the time. So actually having it, you'll probably be unsurprised to hear. It's often women-led companies and smaller companies. I mean, I hear all the time from, especially law seems to be really bad about promising flexibility and and then saying like, just kidding, client needs you now. So, and I mean, I understand why if it's a client focused industry, you got to be there for the client when the client wants you and the client can be unreasonable. And you're all about your billable hours, no matter what they say to you in any service industry, not just law, but consulting and anything that you're where your, your time is literally your value to. Exactly. And so I just, it's more like I, it's definitely happening all over the place. I mean, tech is, is often 
the forerunner of it because, you know, depending on where you were. I mean, I will say that I am hearing a lot more about full remote work mm-hmm. yeah. since the pandemic because they realized like, oh, actually people are incredibly productive from home. And so yeah. that's been proven by, you know, the sort of un- this forced experiment of the pandemic. And I find that people who have fully, have chosen fully remote jobs are often very happy with their balance because, you know, they get their work done. They're able to sort of manage their lives better without wasting at least an hour a day commuting. It's really the commute that's a killer. Yeah, so true. Do you take a lot of the expert advice about parenting that you get through your job? Like, are you like a, like a super parent that takes all the parenting advice and like, Absolutely not. Job. <laughs> I actually don't believe in parenting advice. Like it's really weird that I do what I do because I don't believe in parenting. Ad- I mean, around the edges, yes. Mm-hmm. The only parenting book I think I've ever really learned from was how to talk so children will listen and listen so children will talk. Ooh. And that actually just has good advice for life. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just talking to it's about talking and listening to people. And the sort of takeaway is like you can't tell people how they feel. Right. So it's like your kid is like, I'm upset about something ridiculous. Cause usually if your kid is under yeah. six, you gave me a banana. I want an apple. My life is over. I hate exactly. it. And you can be like, <laughs> no, they're like, I'm, you know, so upset about the thing. You say, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, I am. Like, you can't tell people how they feel, but you can't tell a grown up how they feel. It makes them very angry. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like the Good parenting advice actually is just good human advice, usually. Your kids are just tiny humans and they have their own agendas and they have their own wants and desires and like often at crosshairs with what you want them to do. And so, no. And also I'm just like, I would say I'm an expert in my own children, but I am not an expert. I don't even know your kids. I don't know what they're like. Like, I, I think it's tough for any sort of one size fits all advice because every family structure is different. Every kid is different. Every, you know, parent relationship is different. And also, I mean, what I've been saying about sort of the advice in the book about even how you feel and mom guilt and all of that, I still feel guilty constantly about the dumbest stuff. (laughs) But what the reporting has allowed me to do is anytime I do feel guilty I then think about it. I'm like, okay, do you feel guilty because you you are seeing some momfluencer and they seem perfect and yeah. you're not like them or and that's not real? Or is it because you're going against some value that you actually hold dear and then that's something to think about? That's pretty So, funny. I mean, I was thinking one thing I've been feeling guilty about is like, you know, with the book coming out, I've just been doing so much work. Mm-hmm. I, I've been working really hard and I feel like I'm much shorter with my children. Like I don't, I'm not really a yeller, but I definitely, my, you know, my patience is not at its best. And I think it's okay to feel guilty about that. Like mm-hmm. being short all the time with my kids, like that's not fun for any of us. Like, I don't think it's going to damage them on any, like they'll survive, but yeah. like, <laughs> I don't love it. I don't feel good about it. And I think that's okay to not feel good about it and to think about ways to like really stress in my day and like make special time for them, like whatever it is. So it's more Pooja Lakshman, who's an amazing psychiatrist. I quote her sometimes in my column. Um, She has a book coming out next year called Real Self-Care. Something that she always says is like, don't let guilt be your compass. Like 
Love that. Just because you feel guilty doesn't mean that guilt should be driving you to change your behavior. Love that. Yeah. So it just, it, it has caused me to reflect more on like, what are my values? Am I living up to my own values? Not like, are these someone else's garbage values that I don't actually even care about? Right. Um, one thing I'm very bad at is like decorating. I don't like, de- I'm, I don't do holiday <laughs> decorations. Like I, it's not in my repertoire. I don't enjoy it. Like I'm not here for it. And yeah. so it's just like, I feel, you know, so occasionally I'll feel guilty for not doing it. And then I'm just like, you know what? You can't do all the things. Yeah. That's so true. That's how I feel about crafts. That's how I feel about Yeah. You can't do all the things. And like, sometimes things are just not important to you. And like your kids will be a little disappointed that like you didn't have like 70 pumpkins for, you know, like (laughs) carve a fancy pumpkin, two triangles for the eyes and some like buck teeth. And that's it. That's all I can do. Right. So like, (laughs) you know, just keep it moving. Don't dwell on the things that don't matter to you. Well, I actually think that's great advice, even though advice is, you know, not always meant to be generic. Just this has been such an amazing chat. The book is Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood. You can get it now. And I am just, I am sure it's going to be like an amazing success. I feel like everybody needs to read it. I've already told everybody I know that they have to read it. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And happy holidays. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zibby Audio production, and we want to send a huge thanks to Zibby Owens, Chelsea Grogan, and the team at Texture Sound for their support. Don't forget to pre-order my What If Year, sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com, and find me on Instagram, at aliciafmiranda. It's the best place to find news about my wild upcoming book tour, future podcasts, and of course, memes about Gilmore Girls and coffee. And if you decide to quit your day job, please share that too. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.